This call may be recorded or transcribed. Hello again. Yes, I think we've eaten. Yes, nice to have you back on the the podcast, even though we've been talking a lot offline. Um, So I was telling you that I've been working on this new project, which I'm calling Zoosophy, the idea of living wisdom rather than just loving wisdom as in philosophy. And so the fundamental tension in zoosophy is between connecting and individuating. I remember that. Yes, and the, the, this uh, Bill has been part of these discussions, which is great. I've missed him during a lot of our DBJ sessions before he re-engaged with us here. And, uh, but one of the things that I love about Bill and that drives me bonkers is he's really focused on this idea of community and body. And, you know, like, which I think is really wonderful, but like sometimes I feel like he's um, so obsessed with this, he's not hearing what I'm saying or he's disagreeing with me about things that uh, I don't disagree on. And so I, I often find myself frustrated with him. And mm-hmm. what was interesting is that he said, well, I think the whole point is connecting. I don't see what we need this individuating thing for. And like, so this started to trigger me, but then I said, okay, I should actually try and use the framework that I've been talking about. And I'd say, mm-hmm. well, I said, well, you know, well, in this framework, uh, the reason you, he says like, why do people, you know, isn't the real thing that just people have trouble connecting? We should just uh-huh. focus on that. And I said, well, in this framework, the reason that you and I have trouble connecting is because I feel like you don't respect my individuality and therefore I get resentful when you try to assert yours. And going deeper with that is that the emotion that is uh, behind this is that I have a um, a drive to answer questions. Like I want to have things ever be nice and precise and clean and formal and logical and organized. And because uh-huh. Bill's frame of reference is skewed relative to mine or vice versa, I find that frustrating because I'm not accomplishing my goal and therefore I get angry and resentful at him. And so I said in the, the uh, philosophy framework, at least the current emotional grid, uh, that's the version of the ICL tower, the opposite of drive is wonder. So I said that, you know, this suggests that if I spend more time wondering why he's speaking that way and trying to understand his larger context rather than just my being sort of consumed by my drive to get things nailed down, that might reduce my tension and help us function better. Uh And so I've been uh, sort of self-consciously trying to practice that as we continue our conversation. Sorry about that. Dogs are getting a little exercised by a very small, inoffensive-looking puppy uh, that walks past us. So anyway, so anyway, sorry, hold on a second. This is usually the dead zone where my headphones cut out. Okay. Uh, Something about the uh, phone repair system here that has some sort of Wi-Fi or Bluetooth environment. It did cut out. There there was the garble. Okay, I think I'm past it. Are you still there? I can hear you again, yep. Okay, yeah. So I have to say that, so having had that uh, concrete example, which you seem to appreciate, 
uh, I've been trying to practice that with him on these message threads, and I think it's helping. I wouldn't say okay. that it's necessarily fully resolved the issue, but at this point, it's encouraging, and it's possible if I keep practicing it, I will get better at connecting with Bill, which would be in itself a significant achievement, and two would be an interesting validation of this theory. So that's yeah. what I've been wrestling with this morning. Okay. Um, uh, a couple, not the last night when we talked, but a time or two earlier, I realized that uh, I feel a recurring frustration talking with you and uh, had been planning at some point to try and unwrap that. Um, would this be a good time or would be a This would be an excellent else? time for that. Right. Okay. So um, I, uh, and this is partly based on my own experience with others that I care about and beginning to see some things in myself, which make it easy to imagine that something similar goes on with you. It may be something totally different, but um, the experience, as I recall it, was I was trying to explain, oh, it may have been related to Mark Hunger and that uh, marriage framework or something, but mm -hmm. um, I, I also had this experience with another friend who was part of the DBJ that I had some long talks with, where it felt like you and he came to an assessment of what I was thinking um, that I that seemed correct to you, but which didn't resonate with me and that it stirred intellectual thoughts in you that you ran off pursuing leaving me feeling not understood and mm. uh, on on and i i remember thinking to myself afterwards there's i i'm i'm very drawn to pursue new lines of thought and uh i learn by talking through what i'm thinking i'm an out loud processor and uh, I have buried my family over the years in this experience of me talking out and me thinking about that feels disconnected from the conversation we were having or from what they're feeling or out of touch. But it's very fascinating to me. And uh, <clears throat> somewhere along the way, I had this experience of um, or just the image come to mind that uh, learning by talking uh is in effect sucks the air out of the room and that i overdo that badly in many contexts and i've been making a very determined effort i don't know how successful i am you'd have to ask my family um to cease that behavior and to um tune in to try and get to a place where they feel understood and where they feel heard on what they want to talk about before I chase something that's intriguing and fascinating and new to me. So let me stop there and say, what do you hear in that? Uh, let you, let you, you know, see if, see if anything I'm saying makes sense in the way that I think it makes sense. Yeah, I think the uh, proper thing for me to say here is, I'm sorry, I didn't listen to you. I was too busy thinking my own thoughts about intellectually how this conversation should go. Um, which would that be half true. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think I relate to this problem, whereas that uh, the way I would 
using my language the way I would describe that is that for me, thinking things through is very self-soothing. Yeah, uh, it makes yeah. me feel comfortable, but at the price of disconnecting from other people. Yeah. It, it leaves me and, wondering if this is a significant um, component of the frustrations your wife may have with you. Um, not directly. Um, okay. For me, I mean, I, I've sort of given up trying to have those conversations with my wife. And mm -hmm. I think, you know, using this framework, I think the issues are more about, well, uh, let, me, let me actually unpack that a little bit in that. I think her issues with me are more about me de-individuating her rather than disconnecting from her, like me trying to drag her along in my wake. Um, okay. Yeah. And, but the underlying dysfunction is probably not unrelated in that I sort of get caught up in my head. Mm -hmm. And the way that I resolve my anxiety is by talking it through. And that tends to increase her anxiety uh, right. because that, you know, like I feel comfortable when I have more variables to play around with. She feels stressed when there's too many variables in play. Yeah. Yeah. So that is a, so the, the, um, so, I mean, that answers your narrow question about yeah, this yeah. Relates to my wife. I think it uh -huh. is interesting that you and I have both had this frustration with each other and are prone to this, which yeah. fits in with, uh, you know, my sense that, you know, we have the least grace for things in others that we lack the grace for in ourselves. Yeah, I think um, it, it was a level of, you know, uh, huh, I, I, sense, I, I sense disappointment in myself because I was hoping to feel understood and instead we had a you know chase some things that you were thinking about that i i was having trouble tracking with part of this is you're brilliant enough and you use you know you have concepts worked out that i'm still catching up on um but it it brings to mind the uh, difference between being understood i can feel like i understand you but that's different from feeling understood for you to feel that I understand you or to switch roles for me to feel to for you to understand and you know run off on oh I, I have this great insight about what's actually going on with you uh, is different from it, I, I can believe that maybe you understand something I don't even see about myself but that's different from feeling understood that you heard what I was saying and that you um, understand what uh, what I'm experiencing or feeling yeah so let me just say that like I uh, acknowledge that I have done that and uh -huh. I uh, apologize and confess that that is not the kind of relationship I want to have with you I want to have a relationship where you feel heard and understood and vice versa yeah, uh, yeah. and that you know, this is uh, very much the sort of thing that I'm trying to get a handle on so I can get better at. Yeah. And, you know, I definitely um, hope you are feeling heard and understood now, at least. Yes, yes, I am. And and I, uh, 
I, I've seen so much of myself in this that I, I, I don't feel I need to forgive you, but or that there's that you have anything to forgive, but I do forgive you. I uh, just brought this up because I care about our friendship, and I think this can yeah. stay, stay there and, and be beneficial to both of us. Um, if if unless you're in a rush to pursue something else, I'd like to just mention two quick stories related to understanding. Um, sure. That, uh, so in in Mark Gunger's book, Left Your Way to a Better Marriage, he makes a phrase a couple times that understanding can change everything even when it changes nothing and he promotes this idea that lack of understanding or an effort to understand each other is often a factor in marital conflict so uh, two stories he tells of a young teenager whose job for years has been to go in and feed his crippled grandfather um, with a spoon and his grandfather has a variety of health problems and uh, it's a mess, and uh, finally the grandson gets to a place where he says to uh, the the boy says to his mom, uh, you know, I'm done. You do it. And she says she looks at him and says, well, I think that you're old enough to know the truth now. When you were a baby, there was a fire, and uh, your father and I were on different floors and thought the other had you. We left the building, and your grandfather realized that you'd been left behind, and he went back in and managed to rescue you, but he was severely injured in that process and has been crippled ever since. And <clears throat> I can't even tell the story without, you know, moving your tears, but the young boy's heart toward his grandfather changed, you know, totally, and he went back in and joyfully continued to serve his grandfather. And so that's an example of understanding um, changes everything, you know, it changes nothing. The other was actually in a Stephen Covey book that uh, Mark again quotes where uh, Stephen was on the subway in a you know normal commute where everybody in the compartment was quietly doing whatever they did. And a man with his two uh, sons come, gets on the uh, on board and uh, the children, maybe they're three, but anyway, they're very rambunctious and they're chasing each other and yelling and pulling papers and everybody is getting visibly frustrated about this and so he the man that sat next to Stephen, and so he finally uh, uh trying to be as gracious as he can says sir your children seem to be troubling many of many people could you get a little control over them and the man kind of coming to says oh yeah you're right i should do something we just um left the hospital where my wife died an hour ago and i just don't know what i'm going to do and uh, I guess they don't know how to deal with this either. And of course, that changes the whole atmosphere, compassion that comes forth. But um, there's there's something about understanding that is very profound in human relationships, where uh, if we don't understand, we impute motives and we judge. And, and uh, uh, so I'm I'm in a place where I realize that through most of my marriage, I've made assumptions about why people were acting the way they were and i'm trying to sort that out so that's that's a different layer of understanding from what i brought up initially but this has been stirring in my mind and i thought i'd throw it into the grist of wherever it fits into things we're processing here yeah it's interesting um so those anecdotes are really useful because when i hear the word understanding uh, uh-huh. that can have many different meanings Right. right. So, you know, and I, my usual, like when I say, do you understand, 
that means something more along the lines of intellectual comprehension, right? right? And what he's talking about here is something more like uh, you get me. You kind of get what's going on. And can empathize, maybe. There's empathy definitely there. There is context. There is relationship. And Mm -hmm. the, I mean, the, um, um, uh, you know, using my framework for it, the way these stories go in their narrative form is that there's a purpose. Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Okay, I'm back. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah, so the, the narrative form of the story is this person is in an unpleasant situation and mm-hmm. they feel like, um, you know, my space or my freedom is being infringed upon mm-hmm. by this circumstance. And then I view the other person sort of, let's say, instrumentally. Right, I look at mm-hmm. them and say, you know, how is this person impacting me? Mm-hmm. But okay. then when there is this disclosure, then I see uh, them for them and right. see the context that they are carrying. And uh, in the first case, there's a relational context. Um, mm-hmm. And the second is just a, uh, let's call it identificational, is like I can imagine how horrible it must feel to be in that situation. And therefore I can put myself in your shoes. Right. And um, so, yeah, uh, this is all one of these things. Like, it feels like this is a very profound thing. And um, the word is too weak to convey the profundity of it. So it's easy to miss. I appreciate your sharing those anecdotes. And I think that's, the, the, I've been trying to play around with like, what is the right virtue here to describe uh, or to, to enable this kind of thing? And, uh, you know, the, the best one I've come up with, which I'm only like 40% happy with, is this word dwelling. Hmm. Is that it's rather the, as the opposite of pulling away or pushing away. Right? So uh-huh. in the first case, the sun was kind of pulling away. He yeah. was saying, like, you know, hey, I don't want to deal with this anymore. And in the second case, it was sort of pushing away, like, hey, you go deal with that. Uh, you know, this is not, I don't want to have to bear this problem. You take care of it for me. Um, but the same sort of a thing. And the, the um, ability to, I guess, inhabit or dwell, or like I said, I don't have a good word for it. But the ability uh-huh. to get the other person's context and shift it from a sort of an us-them um, uh, need to defend my own individual personal space to, you know, within this larger context, I can um, 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 I'm not sure because I'm running out of words here, but yeah, there's a there there, definitely. Yeah. Well, so um, uh, to go back to the conversation where I felt some frustration, it was a mixed feeling because I think the things you're thinking through are very significant, 
and I want my friendship to support that process of what you're discovering, what God's guiding you in, even if it doesn't immediately satisfy my desires to feel understood on uh, certain things. Um, on the other hand, there are pieces of this that I'd like to process at the level of what I'm interested in um, at times. And uh, so I, I, when, when you get caught up and excited about where you're going uh, and your time is limited and my time is limited, uh, there's I don't mind for a season. Um, now it, it feels like this is the right time to unpack a little more of what I'm thinking. The next piece of the what I've been learning about the empathizing for marriage relationships and family relationships. Um, so Mark Gunger uh, recommends something called the flag page, which we've talked about mm -hmm. at some point. And the guy Larry mm -hmm. Bellotta developed that as his own set of materials or his own approach to trying to improve marriages. And one of the things that really struck me is he says a lot of how we relate to our spouse uh, is heavily influenced in ways we generally don't recognize or aware of uh, by how our parents treated each other in the first 10 years of our life. Um, and mm -hmm. that one thing you can do, and this ties back to me with Mark's emphasis on understanding, that uh, just to encourage, to, to uh, invite and to ask questions about you know how what was what was your life like in your first ten years? Well, how did uh, what did you experience positive and negative, and what did you how did you see your the your parent of the same gender as you treat their spouse? So for you, how did your dad treat your mom? What do you remember about that? Uh, do you see ways that you know and and having that conversation with each other? Uh, he says several times a week isn't too much. So I haven't been, I, I did a little bit of just asking my wife about this to see where got in country recently and uh felt like it would be nice to go further. But uh I think she felt I didn't approach it well enough. She may have felt interrogated or like I was getting into some new approach to uh trying to see things that didn't feel natural. But uh I th I think there is something in other another um uh, an approach to improving marriages that I ran across had very similar thoughts about the influence of the first years of our life in shaping what what causes us to feel anxiety or tension. And you've you've mentioned recently, Pat, if I will cross that, uh, it's those tensions that we react to in ourselves that drive the, many of the relational dynamics. If I'm getting your framework somewhat so uh that's that's the extent of what i wanted to bring out we can discuss that and to whatever extent there you see relevance there yeah no i think it's interesting i think there's it's worth um i guess there's two things that come to mind one is that like there is the goal of reaching this sort of empath understanding of another person right uh -huh. and that is right. a really useful goal uh there's two yep. caveats what right one is that um that's not the ultimate goal, mm -hmm. right? The, the goal is to be, I, I guess, uh, connected, reconciled, yep. right? And so, yeah. uh, and then, so, uh, you know, so it, don't, it doesn't make sense to do, and uh, certainly what I tend to uh, find in my own life 
that I can get so focused on understanding that I engage in actions which actually make reconciliation harder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that's part of kind of a the thing there. And the um, so it's like this is where I, the problem I have with sort of like kind of narrowly focused tools is okay, understanding is a really good thing. Therefore, you should do these things from what understanding. It's like well, that there, there's a larger context here that needs to be taken into account. And uh, you and my, I think you might like me have this personality type where gathering information is a very soothing thing. Right. Yeah, it, it, well, is, it's, it scratches an itch in my brain uh, yeah, they, to pull information, and therefore I can easily uh, use it maladaptively when it's not yeah. actually going to help me. This, the phrase has come to mind, clinical understanding versus em- empathetic understanding or empathic understanding. Um, well, there's I, that. I think, yeah. I think the yeah. empathetic understanding is more likely to help uh, the relationship than the clinical understanding. Right. I think that's that's a good, I like that framing, empathic understanding. And I think the interesting thing is that information gathering, you know, is a very verbal thing as uh-huh. opposed to uh, observation and reflection. Yeah. Right? So observing yeah. how your wife deals with her family, how you deal with her and things like that. Um, uh-huh. Uh, and you know, especially because I think that's a little bit more. If you if you're looking, you're or imagining, that's more of a right brain empathic connection rather than a verbal, logical, left brain analytical uh, interaction, which is arguably yeah. the source of most of my problems with my wife, is my desire yeah. to connect with her in sort of a left brain intellectual level. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not sure if uh, well. So the the other way I'm thinking about the difference in understanding is. If you feel like you understand me and you take off in a conversation that I'm not tracking with, that's very different from me feeling understood by you with the kind of, uh, which is facilitated, can be facilitated by the kind of phrasing I've been practicing and encouraging of, it sounds like you feel this way because of that, um, which that, that can lead to, that can contribute or help build a sense of understanding. Yeah, I think there's definitely some practices like, you know, pausing to check in, like right. framing things in a certain way that definitely creates more space for connecting. Mm-hmm. It yeah. probably is not, it may not be either necessary nor sufficient, but it is certainly helpful. Yeah, yeah, I'd go with that. So that uh, that covers things that I had carried over from a previous conversation. I uh, I I don't know that I have anything more to add to that. Uh, no, that's good. I think I think that actually may have been the conversation we last used on the podcast. So it's a nice bit of continuity for our listeners, assuming we have okay. any. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> the um, the interesting thing for me, uh, one of the other insights I had today, I've been talking a lot about tension in kind of the negative spectrum of discomfort, anxiety, and stress. Uh-huh. So thinking of all of those as forms of tension. Uh, but I just kind of realized this morning, well, actually tension can also mean anticipation and excitement. And, right. you know, and what I realized is that in fact, uh, I can be just as annoying to other people out of my positive tension as I am out of my negative tension. Hmm. Like if I like 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 you and I talk about how we go off on these intellectual flights, 
Yeah. And you know, one you know, way of looking at that is a defense mechanism, but then look at it, it is actually simple joy. Like, oh wow, this is so cool. Let me just riff on that. And yeah, yeah. that in itself can be a um a uh, alienating behavior. Yeah, um, I have, and so I have this perception that I've done that so much to my household that at least for a time I just need to die to that and uh encourage them to do as much of that as they want without trying to uh carve out space for my own. I have enough plenty plenty of conversations with friends like you where I can uh, do the have these kinds of conversations and to just give my family space to recover from all the years of me doing that. Yeah, I think that's good self-awareness on your part. And I think that's actually something that you and I can practice in some ways too. Like I think we'll always have, I mean, uh-huh. by definition, because we're on an audio podcast, it's going to be verbal, you know, apart from right. the occasional grunt or long pause. Right. The thing that I that that came up when I was I think you saw my sort of uh, tear down of the four temperaments in my slide deck. Um, uh-huh. You know, Mark Gunger uses I think um, uh, control, fun, uh, perfection, and um, peace. Peace. Right. Peace. Right. 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 Yeah. And I kind of mapped it to uh, these, you know, these two themes of connection and connecting and individuating. And I said, you know, the thing about those types is that they're a way to relieve the tension by ignoring one part of it, mm-hmm. uh, devaluing it, right? So the, the yeah. control type, which I call the boss, is the one who de-individuates others. I don't worry about other individuals. I'm just trying to get something done. Right. Uh, the um, the martyr type doesn't worry about themselves as an individual. They're just trying to keep the peace. Right. Uh, so they're de-individuating themselves. The um, perfectionist disconnects from others. Like I, I I'm just tr- like more. I call it more the artist type. Right. Is uh-huh. that I don't care what anybody else wants. This is what you know. Th- this is the the picture or the song or the life or whatever I want to lead. Uh, right. What's fascinating is that when I did those three, then the only thing that was left was this idea of disconnecting from self, which was uh-huh. the fun or the sanguine type. And yeah. it seemed kind of awkward to me at first, but the more I thought about it, I said, you know, I think it might actually make sense is that joy, yeah. pleasure is a sense of disconnecting from ourselves, right? Ecstasy, I think right. that's literally in the meaning somewhere. And that that explains that when I am unhappy with myself, I go pleasure seeking in various kinds mm-hmm. of ways. Right. And, you know, there is a, I guess rapture is probably the more technical term for being out of yourself. And um, realizing that, um, you know, having a, um, uh, well, I think one of the real sort of, Something to me is to think about that if I'm having too much fun, in some ways I am uh, avoiding myself, uh-huh. and that's an interesting thought because you know we usually think of fun or happiness as sort of our birthright as Americans, but right. thinking that it's only one piece of it. What's the other? Um, so, um, 
and I guess the implication of the, the, the mirroring is that they're all paired here, you know, joy and grief and uh, drive and wonder. And this idea that, um, I guess the interesting idea I'm trying to grow for here is that you've seen this set of behaviors here that you're trying to pull back from. Uh, so I didn't that. Yeah, sorry. What is the complementary emotion and behavior that you could practice more of? Ah, okay. Hey, um, um, I need to, to run my son to school. Uh, I, let me just kind of add, throw in this thought, and then we'll try and wrap up quickly. Two or three minutes. Um, okay. So Mark's emphasis on the temperaments is this is a helpful framework for appreciating the differences in how we approach uh, things rather than uh, camping on the frustration, why can't you be more like me? And he says that most marriage conflicts boil down to, you're not like me, why can't you be more like me in this or that, whatever. Um, the, uh, but I really, I appreciated in the, um, the philosophy uh, first video that you did, the uh the idea that we can actually float between these we can be adaptive to what's appropriate for the context we can have a default or we can have um uh i've forgotten what you disorder term, disorder that's it um and uh, that was very helpful for me to think about not just uh, identifying what i am as something that i'm just stuck with but uh realizing that by the grace and spirit of God, that uh, I can adapt to what's necessary and helpful for those I love and for whatever context God has me serving in. Yeah, that's why I really like framing these as roles rather than types or personalities. Right. Uh, because it tends to sort of normalize the pathological case. <laughs> mm-hmm. Rather right. than uh, uh, and like you know, I realize that like you know, actually we do actually inhabit different roles all at different times, right? Uh, and uh, it, it and that the idea is that emotions are the things that kind of tell us which role to inhabit, and so right. it's good to you know be mindful of the behavior, but I would argue it's, it's better to also to be uh, self-aware of the emotions that drive that behavior. And then, yeah. you know, get to the understanding bit where you have the empathic understanding of yourself. It's like, oh, yeah, that's why I'm acting this way. And therefore, right. rather than just reacting with my usual default role, maybe I yeah. can respond with the opposite role and see what happens. Yeah. I, I, recognizing becoming self-aware of the tension or anxiety. And uh, it just struck me that uh, whether my spouse is involved or another person, I can still try and reflect, you know, what what am I feeling and where does that come from? Do I or were there experiences I had in my childhood or what I observed with my parents that are driving this way that I'm acting out or relating to this situation. And uh yeah. Yeah, the other the, the, the I had my uh just real quick is that uh I had my kind of my final meeting with my counselor as a counselor. We're gonna continue the friendship offline, but um the thing that I realized is that uh, we came up with the definition of grace is unmirrored anxiety. Like normally when someone does something that triggers me, 
they make me feel anxious, and my natural reaction is to try to push that anxiety back on them. Right. Um, and uh, or I end up, you know, unconsciously doing things that make other people more anxious and increase the tension. And uh-huh. he said, just like the most useful thing I could do for marriage is when my wife does something that I find triggering is just, it's usually be, it's like the point of understanding. It's like, oh, understanding that she is probably feeling anxious and stressed. That's why she did this. And uh-huh. therefore not react to that but try to respond within a way, because if I react, it's going to likely try to, I'm trying to try and control her or whatever in a way that's going to increase her anxiety. Right. Uh, control her or investigate her. Both of those <laughs> will tend to increase her anxiety. And then right. saying, okay, how can I, um, you know, detach or grieve in order to uh, reduce her anxiety? And uh-huh. so, uh, you know, and maybe it's not what I do this all the time, but it's like the hot buttons in our marriage are precisely those places where her reactions trigger my reactions. Right. Right. Yep. So that's where things can spiral out of control. And it's like, okay, if I can just change that dynamic is notice myself uh-huh. reacting and then learn how to react in the opposite spirit. Right. Then I have a chance to one drastically reduce my own stress. Um, and, but also that, uh, I believe creates a context where I'm releasing grace to her, uh, where uh-huh. she can grow uh, in these issues and indirectly address the deeper thing that was bugging me. Right. Yeah. And the great okay. thing is, that, yeah. So it, it doesn't really require so much conscious understanding of exactly what's going on within her. It just requires a deep awareness of what's going on within me. So then uh, how do we uh, maybe as parents, um, adapt that to help our kids when they're in conflict with each other that's uh <laughs> two two kids who uh and unfortunately one of them has uh, shown a lot of grace this morning the other is uh not feeling a lot of grace toward the other and they didn't interact yeah i interacted with I one don't, of them yeah 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 uh, yeah i don't have a quick answer for that except that you know, my cultural norms growing up was that the job of the parent was to either control or investigate. Uh, and so I'm wrestling with the fact of, huh, you know, those are useful roles, which can often work, uh, but right. they can also backfire because they're just roles. And maybe right. there's an opportunity to practice the complementary role uh, of yeah. grieving. Yeah, our friend uh, Gary Sweeten um pointed me toward somebody who studied family systems that uh, you may remember mm-hmm. the, but um, the thing that I remember out of that was that the person who is able to maintain peace amidst the family chaos and can have a controlling influence or a constructive influence at least uh, in sure, that's family, family systems yeah B-O-W-E-N yeah yeah my therapist has been talking to me about that as well yeah and I think that there is, this goes back to the idea of dwelling in peace. Uh-huh. Um, so there's both the dwelling in peace, um, and then there's the uh, responding in the opposite spirit. And right. uh, I, I haven't quite reconciled those two imperatives in my head yet, but uh-huh. I think those are both things to think about. Yeah, so the I've forgotten the how you labeled the middle of your uh, feeling tower or, or whatever you're calling it now, but uh, um, I, I I called it Christing. Yeah, the, but there was a something to peace, I think, 
there was a phrase. It was, it was stre- stress to peace. Stress, stress to peace. peace. Right. Okay. Being in the middle is both the most stressful place and also the most peaceful place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And, 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 I think, and going from and embracing the stress, because like just being the clueless dad and being in a place of peace by ignoring everything is easy, but right. not constructive. Uh, what right, you want yeah. to be is to be is is to absorb the stress, and then yeah. by the cross of Christ, transmute it to peace, and then right. you know be sort of like a water purifier. Yeah. Okay. Good. Well, um, um, anything you'd like to prepare for before I go? Uh, no, I gotta go get ready for nine o'clock as well. So God bless okay. you. Thank you. All right, good. Bless you. And uh, we'll talk again soon. Appreciate our friendship. Thank you. Appreciate you too, Robbie. Thank you. Bye.